get him? I don't know where you got that thing, but do you really believe that you can take down a graze of Gallarhorn with an old mobile suit like that? Yeah, well, so far one of you is already dead. That voice, it can't be. Are you only a child? That's right. So was every soldier you killed out here. Remember that. How is this happening? We're gonna be the same ones who take you out! <laughs> Lieutenant! Gun damage! Amazing reaction speed! Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. My name is Soul Bro Ryu. I'm one of the hosts of Gundam, and you're listening to episode 175. In this episode, Chris and myself, we're going to sit down and review episodes 6 through 15 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. It's been a while since we put out an episode, and there's been uh, uh, just some life events that have kind of helped cause uh, this show to be postponed for a little bit, but we're getting back on track. Uh, we got some exciting news to tell you guys at the end of the episode, so stay tuned. But um, we'll be very much of an intro of this episode. We're going to just jump right into the reviews for episodes 6 through 15 after the break. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, there's big changes happening to the show coming up. Uh, actually, the very next episode, which is going to be airing live on Thursday, June 30th at 9.30 p.m. over on YouTube.com slash GundamMAHQ slash live. If you've never been there before, head over to the Gundam MAHQ channel on YouTube and hit the subscribe button because Chris and I are finally going to be doing the show live from episode 176 onward. I have more details on that at the end of the episode. So again, make sure to check out the end of the episode after the reviews for more information. And thanks for listening to Gundam at MHQ. We'll be right back with the reviews for episodes 6 through 15 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. This is Stephanie Shea, and you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. In a world where vivid flashbacks can strike without warning. In a world where a submissive adolescent must pilot a giant humanoid robot to save humanity. In the same world where a two-legged quadruped can run leisurely at the speed of sound with the aid of jewelry. Only one podcast can discuss this with their sanity intact. And this is not that podcast. www.ssapodcast.com 
the Ass Backwards Enemy Podcast. Oh wait, I was supposed to use that voice in the beginning. Uh, let's go again. From a time long ago, in a basement far away, there comes a time when there's only one hero to protect us all from the trolls, warranted and unwarranted. Is it him? Against Gundam Sea Destiny. It appears destiny is firmly on my side. What? There stands a man who alone will defend the honor of said show for all to enjoy. You're something that shouldn't have been allowed to exist, boy! Just shut up! His name rings out and is like curses to those evil doers. If people learned of your existence, they would want to be just as you are! That name... Chairman 025, Defender of Destiny! You shouldn't blame me! This is mankind's dream! Mankind's desire! Mankind's destiny! Coming this fall on WSBR, your home for DVR hits. Wow, this is pretty cool! Happy birthday. How to say? Well, you could say thank you. Thank you. Gun damn it, Jim. What the hell is the matter with you? Other people have birthdays. Why are we treating yours like a funeral? Bones, I don't want to be lectured. Welcome back to Gundam Anime HQ. In this segment, we're going to finally dive back into our reviews of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. It's been a while. <laughs> but uh, we're going to cover in this segment episodes uh, 6 through 10, and in the following segments, episodes 11 through 15. Um, and for episode 6, this episode's called As For Them. Um, in this episode, right after the battle that concluded episode 5, uh, the, how do you pronounce this? The Gallahorn or the Jalahorn? Gallerhorn. Gallerhorn. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they, they uh, of course, lose the battle, and they also lose uh, their grasp on the Tekadon boys after the death of their uh, commander, Coral. Uh, McGillis reflects on the Barbatos, explaining that it was one of 72 Gundams used in the Calamity War 300 years ago. The Barbatos is not only host of two Ahab reactors, but also the Alaya Vij- uh, Vijnana system. It uses to maximize its abilities, and uh, which may also be bringing out the best and meekest potential. You know, I'm going to call that system the AB system from here on out. <laughs> No complaints from me. It's a it's a mouthful. Um, on the Izarabi, writing it every damn time. Oh my god, ain't it? <laughs> when I saw that in the description, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" I was like, "Wow, this that, that Vijana, Vijnana word looks Don't like looks like a different word entirely." <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I'll, I'll I'll leave that to the imagination. But um, on the Izarabi, Orga and the crew um, entertain the idea of negotiating with the criminal syndicate known as Tewaz in order to uh, gain assistance on their mission and a guide to Earth. 
uh, due to their knowledge of uh, communication systems, uh, including the uh, Ariadne uh, uh, line. Orga assigns Fumitan Admos as chief communications officer on board the ship. Um, Kudelia explains... Sorry, Kudeli explains to the Tekadon about the current political climate in relation to their mission. After the Calamity War, Earth's nations were uni- united into four economic blocks. Considered a part of the outer sphere, Mars and Jupiter were divided up by those blocks and placed under their control. The transplanetary economic pact established during the pioneering days uh, ended up resulting in the explo- exploitation of the people of Mars, which is what Kudelia is fighting to reform to the benefit of her people. The leader of our the block that controls the uh, Christ autonomous region of Mars recently agreed to hold talks on these issues. Hence the urgency of why Kudelia needs to get her ass back to Mars. <laughs> um, later in the episode, uh, get your ass to Mars. Oh yes. <laughs> I get her ass, get her ass to earth. I should say, let me, uh, let me fix my face. Um, but later in the episode, uh, Kudelia, Mika and, uh, Atra deliver food to the Bay crews, uh, who are working to fine tune the Barbatos and, uh, Incidentally, Cadelia finds out that that a good deal of the younger kids aboard, including Mika, are illiterate. She begins to teach them the basics of reading soon after that. Ein over on uh, over on the the, Jal- the Gallahorn side. Uh, Ein joins them, uh, the Gallahorn or- organization, after meeting with McGillis in order to avenge the loss of his superiors, especially Crank. Orga and Biscuit discuss their options on what to do in relation to Tewas. Uh, during their conversation, Orga mentions how cool and capable Mika is and how he inspires him to be the same. Later, Mika and Orga meet up to discuss the day, and it is then that another ship approaches them. They are hailed by none other than their former cowardly boss, Maruba, who demands the return of the Izarabi. And uh, Chris, I turn it over to you uh, for your thoughts on the episode. Well, it's definitely uh, downshifting after the battle to escape Mars, which is fine mm-hmm. because it gives us some more insight into the characters. You know, one thing that really jumped out at me was the conversation between Biscuit and Orga mm-hmm. and uh, how Biscuit says, you know, why does it seem that you're taking us on the most dangerous routes and the most risks and, and Orga admitting that he feels he has to always be like the coolest guy and, and always have the next adventure ready for Mika's waiting eyes, which is, uh, you know, admirable, but also not advisable. No, not at all. <laughs> that's not a way to run an organization. It's pretty bad. Yeah. That's, it's, it's pretty risky to say the least. And on the Gallerhorn side, you know, it's interesting seeing Ein go further down the path of, uh, Gollum slash Jared. <laughs> you know, his, obs- his budding obsession. He's slowly raising his level as a loser villain. <laughs> I mean, he's getting there. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's certainly got the blind rage part down. Absolutely. Like Jared and, and the Gollum-like obsession on killing these damn kids. <laughs> as we see later, he kind of wrestles with uh, the, what is it, the, the morals of... Uh, of how to approach the situation since it's kind of delicate. Can, can kill them if they're bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yo, that Gundam logic, let's go. <laughs> you know, it, it remains to be seen if before the end of the series he actually will accomplish anything or if he will just go down as yet another in the long line of Jared's. <laughs> Hopefully he has a, a moment of clarity. <laughs> I don't I don't expect it to happen, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also like 
the whole bit about Mikazuki wanting to learn how to read and write. Yeah. And Kudelia becoming an impromptu teacher <laughs> to him and the other little brats. Mm-hmm. So that was an uh, interesting development for him because, you know, the kind of life that he's led, that's not something he's ever needed, but now he wants to pursue it for his own goals, both short and long term. Yeah, it's it's a fun scene, too, because um, as as sad as it is that those kids never had a kind of any kind of formal education, given their circumstances, um, it's cool to see that they're so excited to want to learn about reading it. And uh, when Mizu- Mikazuki's trying to write, um, he's a little dyslexic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> at least he has a, 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 a dyslexic spell for a moment when he writes the letters of his name backwards, but uh, that could happen to anybody who's writing their name for the first time. Yeah, but overall, I thought it was a solid character episode. No problem. I'm just going to name the top three things I really enjoyed about the episode real quick. Um, number three, I like the dynamic between Mika and Orga and how they kind of inspire each other to uh, to, to to be better men, basically, and uh, how Orga's trying to make himself a better leader by using Mikazuki as an example and how he handles himself in the battlefield and in all the situations. Um, number two, um, the download on the uh, Barbatos as well as the politics of the times um, went over pretty smoothly. I know it was a lot of exposition. This whole episode was loaded with exposition, but I think it worked and it, it kind of helped to flesh out what's going on and uh, in that non g convoluted way. <laughs> yeah, I, I was not going to mention that show by name, oh. but... <laughs> Yes. Has <laughs> it become the show that should not be named? The new show that should not be named? <laughs> I guess it depends on who you ask. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I enjoyed the insane ride oh, yeah. that was G Record while it lasted. Absolutely. But by the end, it didn't make a damn lick of sense. No. <laughs> Even Tomita will tell you so. <laughs> and we kicked the dead horse in again. <laughs> Oh, I don't think it's quite as dead as, as as if we went back and were slagging on Destiny more. So oh yeah, this, it's not quite that level yet. Yeah, we turned that horse to glue. <laughs> I mean, how many more times could we talk about Destiny? Oh man, it's almost it, it's an evergreen subject sometimes. But <laughs> last but not least, my number one is that the kids get hooked on phonics. I thought again, uh, we talked about that. It was that was a fun scene, and uh, I'm glad to see that. Um, they're they're excited on learning, and I really I really hope the best with the characters, the ones that live anyway, on becoming a well-read young gentleman. <laughs> Better phonics than crack rocks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, what would you rate this episode, Chris? I would give it uh, three and a half writing lessons out of five. Damn it! You took mine. I was gonna. I was gonna. I'm giving it four remedial lessons out of five. <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. And that brings us to episode seven, which is called Whaling. And uh, this episode uh, starts off with the Bay crew scrambling to get the Barbatos operational, interrupting the fine tuning in lieu of a, a potential battle. Along with Maruba, we meet Naze Turbine or Tur- Tur- Turbine or whatever the way they want to pronounce. I'm just I'm just going to say Turbine. Uh, the capital. Sorry, the, not the capital. The captain of the hailing ship called the Hammerhead. Naze relays that he was hired by Maruba to reclaim the Izaribi and uh, asks for the Tekadon surrender. Um, Orga vows revenge on Maruba for his actions on Mars, and Naze okays his right-hand lady, Amida, to sortie with her squad to engage the Izaribi. Um, with Naze revealing that he's a member of Tewaz, 
Orga sees this as an opportunity to negotiate with the organization and assembles a squad to infiltrate the, infiltrate the Hammerhead. He leaves Eugene as acting captain while uh, Akihiro and Mika launch in their suits. Sadly, the Barbatos isn't at 100% due to its rush reassembly. Um, both ships engage in battle, and the Izaribi takes a pounding. Akihiro and Mika find themselves outnumbered as they take on Amida and her squad mates, Aze and Lofter. Mika struggles with the sluggish Barbatos while Lofter comes at him with her nimble uh, Hayakuri. I, both, I, I probably said it all messed up. Hyakurai. Hi- Hyakurai. Oh my god. <laughs> Dumb American, guys. Um, it's, despite the difficulty, Mika manages to wrangle her, attempting to, attempting to slow her down. The Izaribi uh, launches a smoke screen, and after a close flyby near the, ha- near the hammerhead, Orga and his team raid the enemy ship. Amida and Aze attempt to assist, but are, put, are, but are waylaid by Akihiro, who takes a beating, trying to buy time for his comrades. Mika successfully rodeos Lofter, but before he can lay a killing strike, he is stopped by Orga, who relays that the hammerhead has been captured. Naze orders his pilots to return home in defeat. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on this episode? Well, uh, it's interesting to see Maruba come back after uh, his cowardly retreat in the first episode. I thought that guy was going for good. <laughs> and and uh, guys got some balls demanding that uh, they just turn over the ship like that and that uh, Naze killed them all. And, you know, he's just such a whimpering idiot. Freaking toady, man. That guy sucks. <laughs> But he's going to get his comeuppance, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, As far as the battle goes, it was interesting the way that the Isaribi was using sneaky tactics like firing the uh, smoke missiles to getting close and uh, attack the hammerheads. So that was neat. And, you know, there is this sort of uh, quick ending because of the successful raid by Orga's team. And I didn't have to wait to the next episode to know that they were going to do the same trick they did before <laughs> of starting the next episode before the end of this one and showing mm-hmm. you things from the other side. Exactly. Which is something they keep doing. Which, which is okay. I mean, granted, it's a, a couple cheat. of times. It's a cheat, but... <laughs> I, I think it sometimes can layer the uh, layer the episodes pretty nicely, but uh, yeah, sometimes it can be just a straight up cheat. But yeah, I get what you're saying. But it was still good to see them fighting again this time against an enemy other than Gallarhorn, who definitely does not fight the same way that they do. No, not at all. And that's it. All right, cool. Well, uh, my top three moments for this episode: uh, number three, there was the ship on ship battle. And uh, the smokescreen subterfuge was definitely a great moment. I I think in this show, I have not seen one ship get destroyed. (laughs) But I appreciate the the kind of uh, submarine-style tactics that uh, they they exhibit sometimes, or the the ship-to-ship combat kind of gives me a throwback to, like, uh, on-water warfare and stuff like that. It's The show definitely seems to revel in a lot of the... uh, uh, the way the way they display the uh, ship on ship battles, and I, I really enjoy that um, aspect of the show. Um, number two is uh, Mika and Akihiro uh, spend a lot of that fight on the back foot against the Hammerhead Trio, um, Amida, Aze, and Laughter, and uh, they definitely put them through the numbers. Uh, of course, Mika had a handicap the whole time, but <laughs> despite that, he's able to handle himself, which is really cool. And uh, 
<laughs> last but not least, number one, the start of the raid, which we're going to get into in the next episode um, after we uh, after we give our ratings. But Chris, what's your rating for this episode? I think this one is four out of five nail polishings. Oh, damn. Damn. Nice. Nice. I got ahead of myself. I used the wrong uh, thing on this one, but I'm going to say uh, uh, four smoke screens out of five for the most part. And uh, it was a very good episode. Another 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 solid one in the, in the line of episodes. Um, we'll move on next to episode eight, which is called The Form of Closeness. And uh, the beginning of this episode opens to Orga's raid on the Hammerhead. Naze admires their tactics as he watches the squad take down his crew with non-lethal measures and hacking the security. When Naze asks Mariba, uh, Maruba uh, for any uh, on sorry for any info on Tekadon's training, their former boss only reveals how clueless he is on what they're capable of. Orga finally raids the bridge and takes control, confronting Maruba with intentions of killing him. Smooth criminal Naze talks him down and says he's willing to negotiate with Tekadon. As for those talks, uh, they begin on the hammerhead. Naze, um, Naze uh, uh, reveals that his crew of women are actually his harem, which is a, a great scene. <laughs> Tekadon requests his services in order to uh, serve as a guide to Earth. Uh, Naze says that he'll have to first discuss it with his boss, who and his name is McMurdo Barriston. Great name, by the way. Uh, who serves as the godfather of Tewaz. Um, he then asks... Uh, Tekadon, what they know of Gallahorn, and Kudelia explains that they ended the Calamity War. Now Gallahorn keeps an eye on all the independent blocks as they are seen as a burden on them, not to mention the organization uh, is also pursuing its own interests. According to Naze, her diplomatic mission has come at the worst time as it stands to upend their goals. Uh, back on the Izarabi, on their way to Saisei, with the hammerhead, Biscuit and Orga discuss that Tekadon is in dire financial straits. Mika and Orga finally reunite and discuss the recent battle. Despite Orga's praise and his handicap at the time, Mika berates himself in his poor performance. In order to raise funds, Orga and Biscuit present an inventory of battle spoils to Naze, uh, who they would like to find a broker to liquidate them. This in response, uh, this is in response to Naze's offer to give them paying assignments, which in turn would separate Tekadon, an outcome that Orga is against since it will tear apart their quote unquote family, uh, that they've grown into. Naze relates, uh, that if they are to remain a unit, Orga will have to accept the responsibility of leadership and that, and the weight that comes with it. Uh, Atra and Kudelia visit Amida and Lofter in the nursery on the Hammerhead, which is loaded with, uh, Naze's infant children. The wise reveal that he has older children in school elsewhere as well. Uh, later, Akihiro challenges Lofter to simula- simulations and he's beaten every time. As Mika tries his hand against her, the ships arrive at the home ship of Tewaz called Saisei. What are your thoughts on this episode, Chris? Well, uh, it got off to a good start by showing Orga's raid and how cleverly it was done. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is the heart of the episode. Yeah. And then we get a mix of some exposition and comedy of, hey, you know, I'm Mr. Slick Criminal here, and, and I got uh, <laughs> this harem of women and all these babies, and every single woman on this ship is mine. It's like, okay, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Seems kind of cultish. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. It was also good to see uh, Mariba dealt with in the way that he deserved to be. Absolutely. 
So that's good. Uh, we definitely get quite a bit of exposition about things like Tewaz and the whole setup with Gallarhorn and the four economic blocks on Earth. So that's all pretty useful information to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it very much is, and uh, pretty much how Cadelia plays in all of this, and how she uh, stands to imbalance uh, what they have going. So uh, I'm glad to I'm glad to see exactly. I mean, it, the, the picture seems to develop even clearer with every episode, and uh, they're they're implementing those bits of story in pretty nicely. Now, so far, this series um, I think has managed its info dumps pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, compared to many other anime where you would just see this play out as like a college lecture and it's like doesn't feel like it's part of the story yeah you know because it certainly helps that you have a cast of characters who are ignorant of the wider world around them because of their own circumstances Mm -hmm. so it provides the perfect cover for educating them alongside the audience (laughs) very true it definitely works as a nice story device Indeed. Because you you know as little as they do. Exactly. <laughs> we might as well be just as just as ignorant. But at least we can read. Yes. <laughs> Presumably. Presumably, yep. So that's my thoughts on this one. All right. Well, my top three moments, uh, if anything, uh, number three was the intermingling of the crews, uh, the start of it, uh, the start of it anyway, uh, of the Hammerhead and the Izaribi and finding out about Naze's harem. I just, <laughs> I've never seen that in the Gundam series, and that just that tickles me. Pick that they have, they actually decided to uh, implement something like that into the show. So uh, that was that was pretty neat to see. Number two is the download on Kudelia's importance and what uh, she means in the bigger picture, which she talked about as well. And uh, number one, the outcome of the raid and uh, just seeing how it uh, played out in the first place. As you mentioned, that was a really cool uh, sequence and it uh, kicked off the episode. So it just got the energy um, pretty much going in the right direction at the beginning. Um, what's your rating of this episode? I'm going to give this one um, three and a half weird harems out of five. Oh, man. I'm going to have to uh, give this episode uh, three and a half uh, harem babies out of five. (laughs) But rest assured, there's plenty more. (laughs) You you, you wonder, like, what are are the ages of some of these girls? What's what's the age of consent in space? Yeah, tell me about it. (laughs) It's it's probably probably, uh, way too young. To say the least. Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Because then again, uh, we have a character who's uh, a betrothed to a child. So, uh, yeah. I mean, you, you look at uh, <laughs> you get some of those bridge girls or, or laughter. And it's like, how, how old are these damn girls? <laughs> it tickles me pink. Her name is laughter. Like, literally. <laughs> spelled differently, but still laughter. But D- Obviously spelled differently because this is Gundam. And, you know, Gundam has to be. Oh, yes. <laughs> But then again, they're throwing out a guy named McMurdo. So what do you expect? Oh, and he's the best. As we're about to get into in episode nine, uh, Sakaz- Sak- Sakatsuki, I want to say. Sakazuki. Sakazuki. Okay. Damn, damn. I am, I'm, I'm bad at this. I'm as bad, yeah. as, I'm as, bad as Neo. You're, you're channeling him. <laughs> I'm, absence. I've been possessed by Neo and his bad Japanese pronunciations. Yes. <laughs> Do you, do you feel compelled to talk about Larry King and Michael Bay? I do. It's it's coming up, man. I'm I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. But 
in this episode, the, the Tekadon are led by Naze to meet the leader of Tewaz, McMurdo Barristan, who's uh, voiced by the legendary Unsho Ishizuka. Um, Wild Bear himself. Hell yes, man. The voice of Jet Black, the voice of uh, older Joseph Joestar and Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, and so many other great characters as well. But um, Naze reveals to McMurdo that he would like to swear brotherhood to Orga, revealing his respect for the Tekadon leader. Uh, Naze wants Orga to stand evenly in regards of the organization, but Barristan says Orga's split in the arrangement should be a little less at 40 uh, slash 60 as to not ruffle feathers with the other Tewas bigwigs. Uh, later on in the episode, McGillis is on board the Bisco and he discusses with uh, Galio and Ayn uh, that he predicts the Tekadon will be taking Kudelia to Earth and soon. He plans to use the Arid, Arid, Aridane uh, to track uh, them in tandem with uh, a contact that he has in the underworld. Ayn is conflicted on the prospect of killing children, even though he, uh, they executed Crank without hesitation. He comes to the conclusion that terminating the Tekadon crew who were guilty of Crank's murder or Crank's death, more, more, uh, a better, a better described, um, to be a compromise he can deal with. They are headed back to Earth for promotion, uh, for McGillis and to reunite with, uh, Galio's sister and, uh, who's also McGillis's, uh, fiance. Oh my God. Wait till you see her. Uh, <laughs> Naze informs Orga that he has a buyer for their surplus, and uh, the offer is more than expected. Naze suggests to Orga that he lets his crew enjoy some time off, leading to Orga de- uh, deciding to throw a party in celebration of their earnings. McMurdo reviews Kudelia's situation and reveals to her that the leader of Arbra um, legitimately wants to help uh, improve the Martian situation and sit down and discuss that with her. Um, However, the results of the negotiation with Earth can end up with war and that she should really think about if she wants to go through with her mission. Uh, Barristan takes Mika aside and offers his craftsmen to improve the Barbatos. The kids hit the town to party and they run into a blonde woman named Meribit as Orga recovers from a bender. Uh, she gives him a handkerchief and before leaving, uh, she gives her handkerchief before leaving and remarks that it smells like a woman. Oh, that uh, Orca remarks it smells like a woman. He also lets slip in his drunkenness that his wish for Tekadon to become a family is uh, slowly coming to pass. And uh, lastly, the Bay Crews meet the craftsmen. Uh, McMurdo said to find, uh, and, and they find that he's already taken apart the Barbatos for upgrades. Uh, the Tekadon boys prepare for an upcoming Tewa ceremony and are fitted for formal Japanese dress. Uh, Naze shows Mika the ways of calligraphy, showing him how to write his own name in Japanese. Kudelia relays to McMurdo that she will continue her mission, and Orga formally asks for his help to deliver her to the Earth. To Earth, uh, the Tekadon are sworn into Tewaz officially. And uh, Chris, any thoughts you have about this episode? I know uh, this obviously is a uh, Japanese show and all, mm-hmm. but uh, what is up with all of the Japanese imagery and aesthetic and everything? going on, especially when this is an organization run by a dude named McMurdo Barristan, who mm-hmm. very clearly is not Japanese in any way, shape, or form. Yo, he offers some cannoli when they step into the office. <laughs> yeah, he wants up with that, too. It's like, with extra cream, bro. It's like, why not some sushi or edamame to, you know, stick with the aesthetic? It's like, oh, let's have some cannoli. Like, what? It doesn't make any sense at all. 
they're all backwards, man. <laughs> cannolis. Oh. Cannolis are nice. I mean, I, I, I like oh, yeah. cannolis. I do too. Go <laughs> for one right now. Oh, yeah. And they have them later. Like, uh, the, <laughs> you can see some of the kids going in on them. But, yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying with that. I, I, don't, I don't understand why it has to have a Japanese aesthetic, save for Naze clearly being at least of some Japanese descent with a name like that. So uh, maybe, but then again, the whole organization dressed up like that. So it's not just you know for the sake Could of just him. Be a, a long running, maybe it was founded by Japanese guys. Maybe they're just a bunch of you know. Maybe maybe maybe, maybe maybe the mafias of the world decided to uh, unite as well and <laughs> become a kind of an amalgam of an organization. I I don't know, but uh, it, it definitely has a Japanese influence to say the least. But any other thoughts, sir? Uh, it's interesting, I thought, that when the time came around that uh, Naze said that he wanted Orga to be his full blood brother because that's way more than what he promised in the previous episode. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. You know, in the previous episode, he, he just sort of played it off like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll make the introductions for you, but, you know, none of this stuff is set in stone, which makes me wonder, did he initially mean that and he changed his mind as he talked to Orga and everyone or did he intend to do that from the get-go and just kept that close to the vest yeah because um you saw from the previous conversations with him uh even uh Orga thought that he kind of blew it with him like he kind of made himself yeah. look weak and then you find out that he respects him that much i guess the raid on on his ship and the bravery that he showed during that is what really sold him uh on on his character, and, and for the most part, he uh, decided to go all in with the dude. But I'm glad that McMurdo said, you know what, slow your roll. <laughs> have take, some cannoli. Have some cannoli. <laughs> take, take it easy. Well, we'll, we'll do a 40-60 split. That's what we'll do. And uh, take, take some back to your ship. <laughs> exactly. But uh, any, 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 other, any thoughts about, uh, uh, what's her name's, uh, I guess, uh, brief appearance, uh, what was it, Maribit? Yeah, I mean, just just kind of there doesn't really play much of a role, but yeah, uh, you know, it's it was fun seeing uh, the kids go out on the town, and that Orga apparently has no game when it comes to drinking. <laughs> He's a lightweight for certain. Yeah, and and all these other guys going on about uh, becoming a man. Like, gee, I wonder what you guys, what what red light district are you going to be visiting? Yeah. <laughs> I know one of them is really, uh, really chick hungry. What's his name? He's, oh, I should say thirsty. Um, was it Saito? I think it's uh, Shino. Shino. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Saito. 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 Oh, yo, Ghost oh, Shell. <laughs> yo, yo, my franchise son. Yo, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing over. <laughs> I like his asides with uh, Eugene about ladies and how they have two different uh, philosophies, like. Uh, uh, <laughs> Shino, he's he's just pretty much thirsty for for chicks. Like he'll take them any which way he can. And then you have Eugene, who's a romantic, and he he, he says he's not interested in the girls, not in the way that that uh, Shino is. So it's a uh, it's just funny to see their back and forth when they talk about women, especially now that they're uh, in league with the Hammerhead and the crew of that, and the fact that, that ship is just nothing but chicks. So <laughs> hormones are raging, that's for sure. But it's all very weird. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, it's also amusing seeing this uh, old mechanic who clearly is a Gundam fanboy. Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> and just a little too excitable. <laughs> he took that sucker apart within seconds. <laughs> Man, you already stripped down uh, this thing and, and you already started tinkering with it. 
It's like, bro, what if we have the sortie? <laughs> <laughs> and no, no consideration. Just, just rip that sucker apart. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put uh, improvements in this you can't even dream of, like magnetic coating. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I don't think they know anything about that stuff. Oh man, if only they knew the wonders of it. Any, anything else comes to mind? Uh, not on top of my head. You know, just uh, another episode that kind of pushes things along with. Uh, the story and this uh, whole thing of getting Kudelia to Earth and why it's important. Uh, but it's interesting that Tekadan has gone from being a bunch of uh, kids with a crazy idea to now being part of this business slash mafia syndicate. Oh, yeah. In just a couple of episodes. Yeah, yeah they are the nicest mafia ever. <laughs> and they offer you cannolis. I offer you cannolis like, yo, I want to be part of this, this crime syndicate. Man, they, they seem like they're the shit. <laughs> Well, uh, my top three moments this episode, uh, number three is definitely when they meet McMurdo. That guy is the best, especially he's got a keen eye for talent. And um, he, I love the fact that he takes Mika aside and uh, talks with him for a moment. But um, it, it, I just like to call this episode Tekadon Meets the Godfather for the most part. <laughs> he reminds me a little bit, of course, of uh, Marlon Brando's uh, character. But um, number two, uh, when the Tekadon boys celebrate their... Um, uh, just celebrate the the times that they're in, and uh, I love the um, the the kind of the personal moments in that episode, especially when um, Orga kind of starts to sober up, and he runs into Ride Mass, who's squirreling away snacks for the younger kids, and um, it's kind of a sign of Ride kind of getting older. Even though Ride is considered one of the younger ones himself, he's kind of maturing and he's kind of taking a lead role in kind of uh, you know judging or handling the morale of the children. So that way, if you know, if they ever uh, really do good, he can give them a treat of some sort. And um, I, Orga takes pride in that for a moment before he kind of hurls, <laughs> throws up all over the place. Um, but that was a really cool scene. Um, other than that, uh, the number one moment for me is uh, Kudeli and Orga wrestling with major decisions, uh, which ultimately result in the Tekadon joining Tewaz and Kudeli uh, moving forward on their journey to Earth, even though it may result in more bloodshed. I like her conflict because. Um, when uh, McMurdo tells her, it's like, look, this may result in war and a lot more lives might be lost. Are you prepared for that decision um, when it comes down there? And she took the episode, tried to figure out what's going on with that. Um, she had a kind of a nice personal uh, moment with, um, with Fumitan, too, because she um, said she uh, went into town and bought like matching necklaces for both of them. And you can kind of see that Fumitan is for some reason conflicted. Um, after that, after that happens, and oh, those necklaces! Oh my goodness, yo, what is this, Macross? <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's like it's like the necklaces are made out of pineapple charms. Oh yes, yes, man. Somebody, uh, somebody may not be long for this world, but uh, <laughs> but uh, that's pretty much uh, it for me. Uh, what is your what's your rating for this episode? Uh, three and a half cannolis out of five. I'm gonna give this one uh, four offers you can't refuse out of five <laughs> and that uh brings us to uh the final episode of this segment uh episode 10 uh a letter from tomorrow and in this episode i hate dealing with paper all right here we go uh in this episode uh in lieu of the work being done on the barbatos uh nadi and mika stay behind uh to uh on uh, saisei as both the hammerhead and Izaribi leave for earth uh, the Tekadon are hauling cargo for Tewaz, and uh, while Biscuit tells uh, Atra 
that a message from Mars has just arrived. Uh, it's Dexter who relays that there is enough funds to keep Tekadon running for a while. Uh, Eugene and Shino wish um, the message was from women instead, while Biscuit uh, uh, acts. Oh, actually, Biscuit uh, gets a message from his sisters. Um, so does uh, Takat. Uh, I want to say his name. Takaki. Takaki. Oh my God. Takaki uses his. Uh, Okay. No. Uh, I know, I know. That's that's. I'm Neo today, guys. I'm Neo today. Uh, Tataki, uh, rem- uh, he reveals that he uses his pay to uh, board his sister in the orphanage. Uh, Kudelia's uh, mother also sends her a message, and she literally phones in an uninspired plea for her daughter to return home and de-escalate uh, complications for her father. Uh, of course, she she pretty much doesn't even even respond to that. <laughs> Um, both ship crews plan on how to navigate the Ariadne line with uh, minimal detection. Orga's reintroduced to Marybit, who's, in, who's assigned to the Izaribi as a Tewa's liaison. She makes her rounds on the ship as the kids ogle. Eugene spoons, and uh, Orga uh, relays his dislike of her being assigned to his ship. Atra reveals to Cudelia uh, her rough upbringing as an errand girl for a brothel, eventually running away. Uh, Starving, she runs into a young Mika who introduces her to the owner of a bakery. Um, initially, he tried to use what little money he had left to buy Atra some food, but the shop owner takes Atra in instead, changing her life for the better. Uh, Kudelia is envious of Atra's connection to others and having people that she trusts, but Atra says that Kudelia is part of the family too, because we're all family. <laughs> <laughs> too Gundam, too furious. But uh, suddenly, Atra imagines what it's like to be part of a harem like Naze's to comedic effect. That's a great moment. Um, lastly, Akihiro is told by a lofter that his uh, simulations have improved, and he's not nearly as reckless as before, even though his pursuits are even um, as dogged as, as, as before. He's still, he's, he's still a go-getter, even though he's uh, less reckless. He heads back to the Izaribi for patrol duty with Tataki, T- Takaki, who talks to Akihiro about his sister and how hard he's working. For the first time, Akihiro opens up about uh, the brother that he lost years ago when space pirates attacked his family's merchant ship fleet. Many of the adults are killed during that raid, and Akihiro and Masahiro are separated uh, when sold off for slave labor. Suddenly, uh, the two encounter the very space pirates they were hoping to avoid. Outnumbered at first, both are saved from Mika in the refurbished Barbatos uh, when it arrives in the nick of time to dispatch an attacker. Um, Chris, your thoughts? Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, the story definitely progresses forward with uh, Tekadan continuing on their way to Earth, and there's obviously a lot of focus on family in this episode between mm-hmm. Biscuit having his uh, message from his sisters that he's taking off to the side because he doesn't want any of the orphans to feel bad. Yeah. Uh, we get some more background about uh, Takaki, that he has a sister and that he also is trying to save up money for her education so that she can have a better life. Um, and then obviously all that bit at the end with uh, Akihiro talking about his younger brother, Masahiro, and then some space pirates attack, and ain't that a coincidence? Oh, boy. <laughs> and the situation where, you know, you don't have to be a genius to wait to the next episode. Know that, hey, uh, Masahiro is one of the space pirates. Oh, my goodness. How dare you? Because you know, Gundam. Because Gundam. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah, it, it, it's it's very telegraphed. I mean, I, I kind of like the way that how they did it though. Is um, Space Pirates is already in the dialogue already because they're trying to avoid them um, uh, on the Ariadne Ariadne line. Um, so they've been talking about Space Pirates the whole episode, and which I could say would prompt Akihiro in a way to talk about it, especially since it's just him and uh, Takaki out there. And, you know, it's, it is coincidental as hell that his brother would be a part of the, the, the very space pirates they're trying to avoid, of course. But um, it wasn't a dialogue. So it's, it's organic, although kind of, uh, kind of forced at the same time. It's, it's a bit of a push. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But um, any other thoughts about the episode at all? Good that we finally got some mecha combat after a couple episodes. Not that uh, I particularly missed it, mm-hmm. but it's good to see... Um, now that they're fighting yet another group, this time space pirates who, you know, are going to play just as dirty as they do. Absolutely. <laughs> but man, yeah, it was it was definitely a short-lived action scene, but uh, kind of the uh, the start of something for the next episode too, as well. And anything else that comes to mind at all? Um, I I liked the episode and the whole theme they're going after. It just felt a little heavy-handed at times. Did it? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, there was a lot of emotional moments in the episode with all the uh, the connections to family and the backstories of all the characters, as well. I mean, what did you think of Outra's backstory? It's pretty messed up. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> Those ladies treated her like shit. Oh my god, <laughs> freaking terrible. But um, at least there was a silver lining to that because uh, as fate would have it, she'd run into um, to to uh, Mika, and Mika would uh, kind of. Uh, incidentally, uh, give her a place to live. So I thought that was uh, a, a, killing two birds with one stone. How she got there and how she met Mika, you know, it explained a lot. So and their connection too. A child uh, Mika who looks kind of like super deformed and, yeah. and, and, and like chopping on that bread. He, it's, it's kind of kind of amusing. Oh my god, he's such an urchin. <laughs> uh, I wonder if that's before or after the murder. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, my God. But uh, anything else that comes to mind? No, that's that's all that comes to mind here. Yeah. I mean, the episode pulled at the heartstrings a bit, and it's a bit maudlin. But uh, my top three uh, moments this episode are uh, the third. Number three is Akihiro's backstory with his brother Masahiro. And um, pretty much uh, just the whole sad story behind that. Um, and him just opening up, I thought, was really cool about his character. If, if, the, if any character came really far in this episode one of them was definitely akihiro number two was atra's backstory i really enjoyed that and it was nice to finally get some insight of her character and see exactly you know what she's you know encountered in her short life and uh on how she met mika i thought that was uh, a pretty uh it was it started out a sad story but it had a nice a nice ending and I, I i dug that a lot um number one was uh the moment where atra was imagining uh <laughs> being an harem with uh mika <laughs> And uh, the the moments where they're showing um, Naze's harem just like multiplying that that shit had me dying. Um, real fun uh, moment in the episode. Uh, what would you rate this episode, Chris? I would give this one three and a half uh, letters from home. Oh man, out of five. Yeah, I would definitely give this episode three and a half tragic backstories out of five for myself. So definitely see eye to eye on that one. But um, that is it for episode 6 through 10 of uh, Iron-Blooded Orphans. When we get back, we'll be kicking off with episode 11. Uh, you are listening to Gundammit MAHQ. See you in a little bit. 
gun. Damn! Good kick, Lee. It was an accident. That's okay. We'll just say he tried to catch a cab. Hey guys, the Zeons are giving a speech. What? We have lost the hero to our glorious and noble cause. But does this foreshadow our defeat? No, it is a new beginning. Compared to Earth Federation, the national resources of Zeon are less than one thirtieth of theirs. Despite this major difference, how is it that we've been able to fight the Federation for so long? It is because our goal in this war is a righteous one. It's been over 50 years since the elite of Earth, consumed by greed, took control of the Earth Federation. We want our freedom. Never forget the times when the Federation has trampled us. We, the Principality of Zeon, have had a long and arduous struggle to achieve freedom for all citizens of our great nation. Our fight is sacred, our cause divine. This is Garma's funeral. It's nothing more than a propaganda campaign aimed against the Federation. Amaral, you could learn a lot from this. Yes, sir. My beloved brother Garma Zabi was sacrificed. Why? Because he was a spoiled brat. War is at a stalemate. Blame this on the misfortune of your birth. You double-crossed me, Char! Bartender, that one's on me, if you don't mind. Perhaps many of you have become complacent. We must send them Royal a Guard? That obvious? It's the smell. You're one of Cassilia's. We have wasted too much time with words. <laughs> I'm we impressed, Commander. The Earthside elite must be taught a strong lesson for their evil corruption. Hey, no. isn't that that Zeke big shot? Just look at that Zeke. There is no other way for mankind to last forever except by living under the direct control of we, the chosen, superior race of Zeon. He's nuts! Yeah, well, I heard you tell that a big offensive is gonna start any day now. Oh, you gotta be kidding! Who cares? We're going to drive those Zeon off our Earth one way or the other! Got that right. Those Zeke's better watch their asses! If this war drags on, it will pose a serious threat to all of mankind. We must teach those slow-witted people of the Earth Federation a lesson they will always remember. Now is the time for mankind to Stand up for the future! Hey! Is this the enemy? Is it? What a bunch of nonsense. This man's trying to turn the Zabi family into a world dictatorship. Dictatorship? Many of your fathers and brothers have perished valiantly in the face of a contemptible enemy. We must never forget what the Federation has done to our people. My brother Garmazabi has shown us these virtues through his own valiant sacrifice. By focusing our anger and sorrow, we are finally in a position where victory is within our grasp. And once again, our most cherished nation will flourish. Victory is the greatest tribute we can pay those who sacrifice their lives for us. Rise! Our people, rise! Take your sorrow and turn it into anger. Zeon thirsts for the strength of its people. Hail, Hail Zeon! Debate is over. You will write a formal apology. I will what? A formal apology. You will kowtow. You will step and fetch. Frank, if you think you can get me. Get used to it. It's the way of the world. If you're so hot on discipline, then gun damn it, start by accepting mine. Because contrary to popular opinion, I'm the head in charge. Come on, let's get something to eat. You really think you're bad, don't you? <laughs>
Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ, and for our second segment, as our double header on Iron-Blooded Orphans continues, we'll be talking about episodes 11 through 15, which mm-hmm. brings us past the halfway point. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start with episode 11, Human Debris. Oh, yes. And this one... Does that old trick again of <laughs> starting the episode by showing you something from the end of the previous episode the mm-hmm. other way. So we see Mikazuki and Nadi uh, speeding by with this uh, booster called the Kuten Type 3. Mm-hmm. And that allows Mikazuki to get to the scene of the battle and rescue... Akihiro just in the nick of time. Right. Uh, unfortunately, Nadi's not a very good pilot. And, <laughs> you know, the thing is flying out of control. But from Mikizuki's perspective, since he's moving away from the enemy, it doesn't really matter and they can just pick him up later. Absolutely. So, unfortunately, in all of the craziness of this battle, um, Takaki's uh, cockpit from his mobile worker gets damaged and uh, he gets grabbed by one of the space pirates as a hostage who rips the cockpit out of the mobile worker and when Akihiro goes to uh, rescue his comrade much to his surprise but not ours the space pirate holding Takaki is none other than Masahiro what a shock A mind gift. <laughs> yeah. And then, if that wasn't bad enough, the Gundam Gusian shows up, piloted by the crazy Kudal Kadel. Oh, yeah. So, we've got some more fighting, and then reinforcements show up from Tewaz. So, Takaki is pretty heavily injured, and you just see the blood pouring out of his normal suit. But thankfully, Mary Bit is there and has some medical skills, and she's able to stabilize him. Mm-hmm. So we see on the pirate side that they're led by a very strange-looking dude named Brooke Kabayan, and their name is the Brewers, but they don't make beer. No, they don't, man. I thought they were going to ha- have some barley and hops for me. <laughs> Space barley. <laughs> I was waiting for some Space Sam Adams to show up. <laughs> Sadly, that, that doesn't happen. Oh, man, I'm disappointed. <laughs> and we see on their ship that uh, this whole human debris thing and this attitude Akihiro has about being worthless and yada yada that he's expressed, that's not just him. That's being all? down on himself. That's all of the human debris because they all have systematically had their humanity stamped out of them and made to think that they are less than garbage. Very much they so. They have no value. So we get uh, some stuff on Earth about uh, Gaelio and McGillis and Ein and some talk from McGillis about the corruption within Gallarhorn and how he wants to fix that. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, if Kudelia is the one that stirs the pot 
and gets things going, then so be it. Yeah. So, um, after some more stuff there, we get uh, on the Isuribi, everyone coming to cheer up Akihiro because of his situation, but then Takaki wakes up and asks them all to shut up because he can't sleep. (laughs) Very true. So, Sobro, your thoughts on this episode? Well, uh, before I get into my top three, I'll definitely say I found um, um, when McGillis went home, uh, went but returned to Earth and had his interactions with uh, his father. And uh, was that his, that was his father, right? Yes, that was his yeah, father. Was his father interactions with him, and then they they talk about the corruption in the organization. Um, he gives me a little bit of a vibe of like a young Trey's. Like if, if if this was like Trey's ten years before we met him in uh in um in Gundam Wing. You know, this is. I mean, Trey's wasn't that old to begin with. So yeah, I, yeah, that's true. They're, they're probably about the same age. <laughs> I mean, McGillis might actually even be a bit older than Trey's. I don't think about it. Yo, when Trey's was a preteen, <laughs> <laughs> they're probably the same age, to be honest. But um, yeah, if, if we saw Trey's just maybe a few years beforehand, as he's uh put piecing everything together and, and coming up with his master plan in order to kind of set things right, um. This is what he reminds me of. Now, granted, I might have his character completely misjudged because it's way too early in the series, I guess, for me to come up with uh, to formulate any theories on him. But um, he's a real cool operator, man. I like this. I like I, I liked his interactions with his uh, fiance. I think her name is Almira, I believe. And, uh, you know, even though she's uh, she's adorable and underage, she's uh, it's cool that he respects her. And um you know, she even fixes them tea. I thought that was really cool. But um, really fun episode. I guess my top three moments. Uh, number three was uh, poor uh, Takaki. Um, he uh, when he when he gets injured in the uh, in the fight and uh, how Maribit. You find out Maribit's kind of a, a field medic at this point, and she uh, definitely uh, helps him make a recovery. I thought that was a uh, cool uh, to see that he didn't die. Thank God. Um, <laughs> Uh, moment number two, uh, just getting introduced to the space pirates and the dynamic uh, on board uh, their ship and how the kids are abused and pretty much treated like absolute shit. And how they're, they're I would say they kind of have uh, Stockholm Syndrome because what else do they know, really? They were abducted from their families at a young age and they're pretty much uh, made to serve these, guys, these, these, these assholes in order to do what they want. Otherwise, they're going to get punished. And you, you can see uh, later on that they're... Um, I, I don't know if it's in this episode. Was this? Uh, this might be the episode where they were they were eating, and you could see how skinny they were. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's it's like it's just not a good scene for them. You thought that the um, you thought that the Tekadon had it bad before they found their own freedom. Now these kids had it pretty wor- pretty bad, if not worse. Um, last but not least, my number one moment in the episode is when the brothers reunite. Of course, we saw it coming. <laughs> But nonetheless, they they pull on those old uh, those those old story tropes, and they get a lot of mileage out of it. And to see how um, Mazahiro and Akihiro interact with each other in that brief moment, and then they're both dealing with the struggle of uh, that either one may kill off the other. I, I thought that was a a nice bit of drama to put into the series. But um, uh, other than that, a, a, a solid episode, man. Uh, what what are your thoughts? Well, you know, again, it was. No surprise that mm-hmm. Masahiro would be showing up, and it's interesting that this conflict comes for Akihiro just as he's finally 
Sar develop a sense to regain a sense of his humanity and acknowledge that he has a new family in Tekadon, and then the old one comes back into his life. Mm-hmm. Almost so, on command. <laughs> yeah. Um, as for the pirates, man, these guys are a bunch of weirdos. I mean, I don't, I don't. What, the, this guy Kudal, he looks like he just came out of a totally different show. Yeah, they all look like Fist of the North Star rejects. Like, like he looks like he could be in <laughs> Fist or or even JoJo. Just yeah. from what I've seen of those character lines. like dude's got a spike collar mm-hmm. and this green hair thing and this like giant tongue that would make Gene Simmons jealous. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's just, he just comes off as uh, out of out of place. If anything, and then his uh, the captain, he looks like a half man, half pig. Man, looks like we're ready to make some bacon. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. It's just freaking nuts. Um, I did like the scene where Mary Bit berates Orga for his irresponsibility by saying, "How could you be out in space and have a bunch of people on a ship and not even have a doctor?" Mm-hmm. That's true. That's true. That's a very uh, a very strong point that she makes. I gotta say, I, I thought they already had one on board. Like maybe one of them uh, had some medical um, knowledge, but it turns out they don't. Especially uh, they're a bunch of kids. What do they know? Yeah, that's true, man. I mean, when even when even Monkey D. Luffy can recognize that you need to have a ship's doctor, oh, that that doesn't <laughs> that's doesn't bode well for your captains. Ooh, shots fired. <laughs> I do have to say one thing that bothered me about this episode, and this has been going on for a while, is this constant back and forth with Kudelia feeling that she's useless and has no purpose and blah, blah, blah. And I understand this is just a function of the story that it's a journey and she can't do the thing that she's supposed to do until she gets there. So naturally before she gets there, she's – full of self-doubt, but it gets a little tiresome the way it plays out episode after episode after episode after episode after episode. Yeah, I mean, she is. She, I know she has the weight of the world on her shoulders, but then on the other hand, she's obsessed with, uh, with, with Mika and what he thinks about her and stuff like that, too. And it just seems a little bit out of place sometimes when they have interactions. I mean, although it's cool because it is building up to something, but um, yeah, she, she has all these, all these crises and um, she, especially after she's come to the decision to, to go through with the plan and to, um, to go through with the negotiations with, um, with the, with, 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 with her um, a meeting on earth and all that. But yeah, she, she seems to have a lot of, uh, a lot of crises and uh, hopefully those, those start to veer off that until it actually is more appropriate in the story. It just kind of feels like since she doesn't have anything to do until they get to Earth, yeah. that they have her just spinning her wheels because they don't have anything else for her to do. Yeah, I, I, I don't even think she needs to play an active role in every episode, although she should be there. Um, you know, if she's like relegated to being part of the background or, or being more of like a bit player in an episode, I w- it wouldn't. It wouldn't uh, offend me at all until she actually is um, more involved in the storyline, which we're going to see later on. So, so what rating would you give this episode? I would say I'd give this episode uh, uh, four Bakta tanks out of five because that's what Takaki ends up in <laughs> at the end of the episode. But uh, that's what I would give it. I'm going to give this one three and a half fat Gundams out of five. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't even realize I was a Gundam until after the fact. <laughs> it just looked like a completely different suit, and then there's the the Gundam Goosey on. It's like, yo, what? <laughs> Sounds like you haven't been visiting MHQ.net, sir. No, no, I mean, I, I you know, I, after I after I went and read your reviews, I I found out in 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 full. That it was yeah, the, 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 the mega page has had that information since day one. Oh, I you know I never checked the line art until this, I actually until yeah. I actually read the reviews and I click on the highlighted words. Then that's when I that's when I get up in there. But yeah, I need to actually go and look at the section and see what Gundams are are, are coming up because uh, has any line art leaked for future Gundams yet for the for the series? Just just the same three that it's been. Oh Jesus! Well, for a long time, so no. I'm sure more coming uh, slowly but surely. We got 72 to cover. I'm just kidding. <laughs> this isn't G Gundam, sir. Oh my goodness! Oh my god! Yo, we're not gonna get Windmill Gundam. Oh man! <laughs> Mexican Gundam. Yo, tequila. Let's go. <laughs> but back to you, sir. I'm sorry. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Moving on. Episode 12, The Shoals. Nice. So. We open with a little strategy meeting between Orga and Naze and the two crews, and they're deciding what to do about the brewers who have demanded that they turn over Kudelia. Mm-hmm. So they plan to take this secret Tewaz route through a shoal zone. But this isn't your typical Gundam shoal zone. This one is made up of remnants of battleships and mobile suits from back in the Calamity War. And there's still all of these active Ahab reactors there, even three centuries later. And because one of the side effects of Ahab reactors is creating artificial gravity, there's all this weird gravity in this shoal zone with all this wreckage being attracted to each other. Mm -hmm. So it's a risky route, but uh, it's handy if you want to secretly and quickly get stuff to Earth. So the plan is to lure out the brewers by using two long-range units, that being Laughter's Hyakurai and Mika in the Barbatos and the Kutan, and tricking the brewers into thinking that they're short-range units and that the ship must be nearby and behind them. Mm -hmm. And then once the pirates appear, the Isaribi and the Hammerhead uh, outflank them from the sides. Oh, yes, man. The pincer attack. Yes, so classic pincer attack, which is precisely what they end up doing. And Akihiro has a little moment with Mika where he asks him to uh, you know, not fight Masahiro if he encounters him. And Mika promises to do his best until Akihiro gets there. Mm-hmm. So naturally we have this battle. Uh... Masahiro's out there in his mobile suit along with the other human debris, including this really annoying dude named Vito, who is out for revenge for Pedro, who was <laughs> murdered at the end of episode 10. Oh, no. I forgot to mention him. Oh, my gosh. Yo, Pedro, RIP. <laughs> Shout out to Chaos Theater. So, at the end of the episode, we have this long fight-slash-conversation between Masahiro and Akihiro, where the elder brother is trying to convince the younger of, hey, you know, I found a family, and, you know, you're not human debris, and you can be happy too, and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, 
his uh, explanation is taken the completely opposite way. And Masahiro's like, oh, you know, while I was suffering, you forgot about me and you're off having fun with your new family. Fun. <laughs> I wouldn't. It's like, <laughs> it's like well, shit. <laughs> way to flip it. Yeah. So Masahiro, he's uh, hardcore in the cynicism that human debris mean nothing, and when they die, that's it. And a lot of talk the last few episodes about people believing that uh, when they die, that their souls are reborn into better lives, and mm. he doesn't think that's going to happen. And right as the episode is ending um, – Mika has Kudal on the ropes, so Kudal tries to use Akihiro as a hostage and moves into attack, but Masahiro pushes him out of the way at the last second and takes the full brunt of a giant hammer attack. Man. So, Sobro, what did you think of this episode? What a finish. <laughs> Um, I, I'll kick off with, uh, I guess my number three, um, the battle in the shoals, like that whole, uh, that whole landscape, uh, if you can call it that, uh, where they decide to have the, uh, um, the attack in, I liked how it, it's pretty much the old battle in the asteroid belt type situation, but, uh, they put a little new spin on it with all the little anomalies of gravity and how the shoals pretty much work. I, I, I like that added, uh, added flair that the, uh, environment brought about in the episode and how they use it to, to their advantage. Um, it's just, just, just scenically, it just looks nice. And, um, I, I just, I liked how that whole, that whole, um, interaction played out. Um, my number two moment though, and it's probably the sadder moment in the episode, um, the uh just the how the kid pirates are uh are are forced to do the bidding of the pirates and how they're still um uh, i i i think this is the episode where they raid the ship right and um i could be wrong that's probably the next episode but just how yes yeah, the next episode but you know just how they just don't feel like they have any other options in life and you can see that reflected in um in how um Masahiro reacts to what Akihiro is saying, you know, where he says, you could be part of a family again. And he says, um, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no future for us. We're human debris. You know, he just feels like he's completely in that black hole and there's no, there's no, um, resurrection, not resurrection, but a reincarnation for us either. It's like this, it's just life is a dead end and there's no way to, uh, get around that for, for people like us. So, um, it's just, this, it was, um, interesting to see the juxtaposition between Mazahiro and Akahiro on how far they've come in life. Um, last but not least, um, the surprising moment of the episode, the not so surprising moment, I should say, is, uh, Mazahiro's sacrifice when he, uh, pushes his brother away to avoid, uh, getting hammered by uh <laughs> by Kutan and uh yeah it was a definitely a a, a heartbreaking moment but we kind of saw it coming i wish if i had to give a negative i wish that uh they would have found a way to have Mazahiro live cuz i think the better outcome would have been him joining with the uh the crew cuz the crew could use more 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 talented pilots like him and uh it sucked to see him go but um uh we'll we'll see what the future brings but um, other than that, I, I thought it was uh, an interesting episode with a lot of heartfelt moments. Um, back to you. Yeah, it's a solid episode, and you know the ending sadly is no surprise because oh, no. <laughs> you know this this is Gundam after all, and 
you know, sibling sacrifice and sacrifice of guest characters is par for the course. Oh, yes. <laughs> so that's to be expected. Uh, the battle was definitely well staged, and I like the idea of all of these hazards and weird gravity caused by all these active Ahab reactors. And just the notion that, you know, there's this shoal zone of garbage that's been floating there for 300 years with all this technology and no one's bothered to clean it up or try to salvage any of this stuff. And, you know, you think about, you know, say Zeta Gundam going through some of the shoal zones of these ruined sides. That's just a few years later, you know, and here's this huge battlefield that's just been left for 300 years. Man. Gosh, just the history in this show is it, kind of crazy. The fact that, you know, all this, uh, there, was, there was a whole conflict that took place way before this. And the uh, impacts of that is, is still being felt throughout the series. It just uh, goes to show that uh, it's, it's a much richer world than we know of yet in this series. Yeah. And there's nice little touches there in that battle, like uh, Laughter having problems because her high-speed mobile suit can't really maneuver very well inside all these tight, weird spaces. Exactly. I guess there's a downside for being quick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so good battle. Um, not at all surprising conclusion, but well done nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So what rating would you give this episode, Sobro? I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I would give it a four hammered pilots out of five. And uh, not drunk hammered. <laughs> The literal kind. I'm going to give this one um, three and a half pieces of old junk out of five. Oh, geez. (laughs) It's a piece of junk. (laughs) Yeah, not that piece of junk. Oh, man. So next up is episode 13, Funeral Rites, which is uh, officially beyond the halfway point of the show now oh yeah man it's the last time you're gonna see raise your flag in the show too exactly great no, theme no no more raising of flags oh man party's over guys yep. <laughs> so the battle ends uh, pretty quickly with the remaining mobile suits destroyed mikazuki kills kudal by doing the old uh, sword stab through the cockpit and shino's team raids the pirate ship and he suffers some losses because they find a room of human debris kids who start shooting at them Yeah, when that, they drop their guard. That's so messed up. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why they dropped their guard though. They should have disarmed them first. I don't know what they were thinking. Oh my God. Well, you know, moment of weakness. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So after the battle ends, uh, Brooke is hauled in for reparations and is told that he's going to have his ship and his suit's taken away. So, uh, you know, no big job for Gallerhorn for them anymore. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> Take it all. <laughs> yeah. And interestingly, Orga talks to all of the human debris kids from the pirate ship and tells them that they're all welcome within Tekadon, which confuses them, understandably. Oh, yeah. Uh, since they were just enemies moments before. And Orga explains that by saying, well, it's not like you guys wanted to be our enemies unless you did. So the kids are kind of surprised that uh, someone is treating them well and not 
you know, like garbage. Yeah, not kicking them to half an inch of their life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like some people. So there's a suggestion of having a funeral for the dead the way that they used to on Earth. And there's all this talk again about people being reincarnated and, you know, their souls finding peace, which Orga's not really down with, but um, he goes along with it because, you know, he's the captain and has to keep the morale up. Mm -hmm. So they decide to have a funeral for all the dead on both sides out on the hull of the ship. And it gets a little bit of uh, extra glitz because uh, Yamagi rigged some missiles to uh, create these sort of ice flowers. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty pretty. I can't believe yes. I just said pretty twice. That's great. <laughs> it, was, it was sparkly, to say the least. It, it was definitely sparkly. Yes. So, uh, interestingly... Even though Orga wants to get rid of all of the mobile suits, um, Akihiro wants to keep the Gundam Gusian for himself because the last memory he has now is of his brother dying, but he wants to keep his brother's memory alive and wants to use that suit. I think he just wants an upgrade. Yeah. He, yeah. One. he made the right decision. <laughs> he does. Um, so by the end of the episode, Kudelia tries to uh, comfort Mikazuki because uh, he's looking a little vacant. And having seen Naze and Amida getting it on, he decides to just kiss her, which freaks her out. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> and then we cut all the way over to Mars where uh, this rich, fat cat, Noblis, decides that it's time for Crudelia to die. As if we didn't see that coming as well. <laughs> yeah. So what were your thoughts on this episode, Solbro? Well, uh, seeing Noblis uh, show his true colors, you know, it was about time that it happened because, you know, he's been manipulating things from the background and um, he's pretty much... Uh, um, he's got higher machinations and, um, he wants to, uh, I guess, uh, move his agenda forward. So, uh, I'm interested in seeing how he, uh, what role he plays in the, in the episode or in the series later on. Um, it was interesting to see the, uh, interactions again between, uh, McGillis and his fiance, um, at the dance, uh, he went to all the, all the women coming up to, uh, McGillis trying to get some action, even knowing that he's engaged, they don't care because everybody disrespects his fiance because she's like, well, you know, she's she's not even a teenager like yet. Yeah, she's really young, um, and she feels dejected because she knows she can't match up with these women right now because she's so young. But um, old uh, McGillis shows up and uh, and and tells her you have nothing to worry about. You know, that's like I'm I, I, they, those women mean nothing to me, and uh, I'm here for you. And uh, it makes her feel better. So it it goes uh, um, miles towards his character. I, I I dug that moment between them, even though. Uh, Maybe he, uh, maybe, maybe she, they should go the separate ways for about eight years. <laughs> let her, let her, uh, grow up a little bit. But, um, as for my, uh, top moments in the episode, uh, number three was, uh, the Tekadon taking everything, uh, the space pirates have, including their imprisoned children. The fact that they offered those kids a home, I thought was one of the best moments in the episode, quite honestly. Um, number two was, uh, them holding a funeral. And the catharsis that it provided. It really shocked me that um, I guess life has become so cheap in the outer outer planets that they don't have funerals at all. 
I guess they just dispose of the body and that's it. Um, they don't even, you know, have any kind of uh, ritual, you know, basically to kind of mark the passing of someone important to the people. You know, the fact that it was... But then again, it might just be something with the uh, war orphans for the most part. You know, the fact that life is already cheap for them. So, you know, to, to have a funeral is kind of a luxury for them. So, um, and, and to see the orga is not really crazy about the idea was, was interesting, to say the least. But um, they all warm up to it in the end, which I thought was... Uh, 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 pretty cool for uh, the development of their characters. But uh, last but not least, uh, the number one moment was uh, Masahiro's uh, uh, last uh, moments in uh, Akihiro's decision to uh, the pilot the, 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 the Gundam. And um, I thought it was interesting that he would go with the, his enemy's suit. But uh, of course, we know why, because it's a Gundam for the most part. So why would he not? Why would he pass that up? <laughs> Power of a Gundam. Why would they? Why would they let that slip through their fingers? That just makes no sense. So, uh, yeah, uh, of course he would pick the uh, the Guzion, and I'm glad that he did, man. Uh, I, I love the little uh, the little fork uh, 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 image, uh, the little little picture of the fork down on the uh, the waist of it. I was like, yo, it, is is it hungry or something? <laughs> it looks rotund. So, uh, you know, if, if anything, it's it's a big boy to say the least, and. Uh, it's cool to see on pilot. Oh, oh, that's true. That's true. I've seen uh, some of the future images of it, so um, I'm interested to see uh, where it's going to go. And uh, back to you, Chris. So I felt this episode was a little disjointed in that the battle is over so quickly, mm-hmm. just like three or four minutes. Yeah. So it kind of feels like either it should have lasted longer than it did in this episode. Or it should have just been the end of the previous episode. Yeah, and and you're right. It just, I, it just feels kind of tacked on the beginning of this episode, the at, at the length that it is. To have it, to have the battle just kind of extended to the beginning of the next episode, kind of does make it feel awkward. And and as you mentioned beforehand, they do that. They seem to do that a lot. They kind of either start a battle at the end of an episode or complete a battle at the beginning of an episode, um, in in some way, shapes, or form. But never does a battle kind of like completely take place in an episode. The conflicts usually like bleed over from one episode to the next. And it's it might become off putting like in this episode. It just makes it feel a little disjointed. It doesn't usually bother me, but mm-hmm. in this case it did because it just it just feels off. Yeah. Having this uh conclusion to the battle be so short and be at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Uh but there is some good stuff here. I did like the scene with Orga and the human debris where he takes them all in with open arms and shows them something that they've never seen before, which is compassion. And the funeral scene, I think, was also pretty well done. And it made me think about the same thing that you brought up of, you know, is life so cheap in the future that they don't even have funerals, that they don't see any reason to mark the passing of someone because their lives have no meaning anyway. So what importance is there to somebody's death mm-hmm. absolutely so that was uh interesting viewpoint because we don't see that too often in mecha shows and particularly gundam exactly it uh it's it's it was uh pretty surprising but actually uh like uh, made for a, a, an interesting moment in the series so sobra what do you rate this episode i would give this episode uh i'd say uh four exploding space coffins out of five <laughs>
Yeah, for, for, for that disjointed feeling at the beginning, I'd have to give this one three dead pirates out of five. Oh, man. I can't blame you on that one. I can't because uh, it is a little jarring. But uh, I, I just I, I thought it stuck the landing at the end, I thought, especially with the kiss. That was a little out of the blue. But uh, I was just good to see some development on that on that front between those two characters. If anything, uh, hopefully it drives their their storyline forward between Mika and um, and uh, and Kudelia. Oh, that brings us to episode 14, Vessel of Hope, the start of a new arc. Sweet. And a whole new theme, which is not as good, but okay. <laughs> yeah, usually the second theme is never as good. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why that is. Why? Man, it, it, it hurts, though. It hurts, like, because I, I miss Raise Your Flag. I do. Damn it. Hopefully we'll get it at the last episode. <laughs> yeah. So we see the Isaribi's been doing some work on their mobile suits, their Grace custom. They're fitting it with the AV system, mm-hmm. as you so uh, aptly put it. Amen. And they get to the Dort colonies, which are owned by the Dort company, and they're near Earth. Mm-hmm. So everyone goes off in their different directions with the hammerhead going to Dort 6 because there's a uh, Tewaz branch there. And Naze gives them the warning of, hey, you know, we may be tough shit in the outer sphere, but in the earth sphere, Tewaz is just another company, so don't start any trouble. Exactly. You can imagine how well that's going to go over. Oh, yeah, it's going to go smoothly. So the uh, job requires the Isaribi to dock at Dort 2, and Kudelia decides to go shopping in Dort 3 with Fumitan and has Mika assigned to her as uh, her bodyguard, and Atra also invites herself along, as does Biscuit. So while they're doing this shopping, Biscuit reveals to Mika that he actually is from the Dort colonies and was raised on Dort 2, mm-hmm. which is a pretty rough place. And after his parents died, he and his sisters were sent to Mars to live with their grandmother while his older brother Saverin stayed behind because he was in college and then got a job with the Dort company. Mm-hmm. So they convince him that he should call his brother and reunite with him because he doesn't want to end up like Akihiro did with his brother. So he makes a call to Saverin, who's a Mr. Big Time Company guy, and he's initially excited to hear about to hear from Biscuit until he finds out that Biscuit is part of Tekadon. Because he knows something that Biscuit doesn't. Yep. So at the same time, while Orga and others are doing the delivery, they're quite surprised to find that the cargo they're delivering turns out to be a bunch of machine guns and some mobile workers. Hey, it's a, it's a long, that's a long time reveal. <laughs> it took a while to, to, to show us what they've been hauling the entire time, but it was, uh, it was funny to see the reaction when they opened up those containers. <laughs> yeah. And all these guys from this union, they talk about how mistreated they are and how they have these guns now and they can carry out Kudelia's call for violent revolution against Gallarhorn and the Earth Sphere, and Org and all the other guys are like, whoa, 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 hold up a second. (laughs) (laughs) We want nothing to do with this. (laughs) And almost as if on cue, Mm -hmm. Gallarhorn shows up to arrest them all, and the union workers, some of them 
decide to take a stand, so they start shooting at the Gallarhorn soldiers and turn it into a big old mess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a shit show. <laughs> yes. A shit show. And that's where the episode leaves us. So what would you think about it? Yeah, I, I thought it was, uh, it was a nice setup episode, to say the least. Um, just to see, to find out that Biscuit had a brother on, uh, has a brother in this sector, uh, was very interesting. And, uh, to find out that he's the older brother that stayed behind in order to provide a, I guess, a better life for his siblings. You know, it made him sound like he was a good dude, but I, I had this foreboding feeling once they start, started pressuring him to call, uh, Saverin. It's like, I don't know if you should do that. Cause last time we saw this, it didn't end up pretty well. And maybe you should just leave him the F alone. <laughs> Let this one slide, y'all. Let this one slide. But you know, they kept they kept pushing him. It's like, yo, call your brother, please. Please don't don't miss out on this chance. And so he does, and um it sets things up for the next episode. But uh as you know, the other shoe's gonna drop when that happens. Um my number two moment though was uh Fumitan's dilemma. Um she was of course supposed to take uh um Kudelia to Dort 2 so that way she could be end up assassinated. And um, she decides to uh, buck that trend once they find out that they want to go to Dort 3 to go uh, shopping. Not only uh, clothes shopping, but grocery shopping, too. Uh, it makes for a pretty funny scene because they talk about how bad the hygiene is for the Tekadon boys. And the fact that they hadn't bathed in like five days. It's kind of a, I, I think it's kind of a, uh, a throwback to Mobile Suit Gundam when Frau Bo is getting in, uh, getting on Amuro and Hayato's case because they haven't bathed in a while. <laughs> And just bad, bad hygiene for Gundam character, uh, Gundam pilots in general, and hopefully this will uh, help them to, to scrub up more, so they get a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, for, I guess, for uh, for them to take better care of themselves. And um, it just made for an interesting, interesting conversation. Uh, my number one moment, though, was the seeds of rebellion firmly planted um, when uh, Orga and his uh, and his boys like accidentally stumble into the fact that there's a rebellion about to go on over these colonies when they deliver exactly what they need to uh, revolt. As soon as those stormtroopers started rolling in, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> Boy, she done effed up. But um, Orga, Orga played it smart. He uh, told uh, he told the, uh, the Izzeribi to get the hell out of Dodge for the time being and that they would find a way back. So at least he looked out for his ship, and he's, uh, he's, more, on, he's more on point now. And uh, I like the fact that he kept his head on the swivel. And uh, it made for uh, interesting developments. But um, those are some of mine, man. I'll, I'll throw it back to you. You know, I liked about this episode the most is there's a lot of simmering tension mm-hmm. that you can feel. In this colony, you have all these union guys who feel mistreated by Gallarhorn. And, you know, given what we've seen about Mars, hey, that's really not much of a surprise. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it, it kind of feels... Like this series sometimes is hitting a little too close to home. Yeah, it is. Yo, the struggle with the one percent, <laughs> the haves and the have nots, man, it's coming to a head. You know, it's 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 pretty much the same kind of story, except that the haves have robots. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> Elegantly put. <laughs> um. So, yeah, there's a lot of simmering tension between the Union and Gallarhorn, but as Orga and the others see, there's clearly a lot of manipulation 
going on because they unwittingly have been made dupes to bring weapons to these people. And these people have been duped into thinking that Kudelia is calling for violent revolution, which she completely is not. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a setup here to you know, arm these angered colonists to then use that as a pretext to come in and kill all of them. Yeah, making her look like some avenging avenging Valkyrie or something. <laughs> when she's, she's, you, you know, you know how Gallahorn plays stuff. Yeah, exactly. They they they, they definitely uh, run the they run the narrative. <laughs> uh, so there is some comedic stuff here too, like just all of this notion that uh, everyone on the ship stinks so horribly. Oh yeah, so <laughs> they need to buy cleaning supplies. When it said that uh, when they get close to Naughty and their eyes start to sting, <laughs> yo, the brother needs to scrub up. <laughs> oh man, you figured having women on the ship would make them actually be a bit more uh, a bit more diligent on being clean. So uh, hopefully they help to change that in the future. Um, I, I was a little uh, put off by the sort of tropey comedic nonsense of Kudelia fretting and overthinking Mika kissing her. Oh, yeah. And I know that she's led a very sheltered life Mm -hmm. on Mars coming from a rich family, but uh, this notion that you jump from like a kiss to considering marriage, it just seems a little ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's moving a little too fast, (laughs) to say the least. So that's kind of silly. Yeah. But um, otherwise, it's it's a solid episode. So, Sober, what do you give it? I'll give this episode uh, four disgruntled workers out of five. <laughs> I'm going to give this one uh, three and a half misguided revolutionaries out of five. Sweet. Which brings us to the last episode we'll be talking about tonight, number 15, Trail of Footprints. Hmm. So is everything starting to go bad on door two? Over on door three, uh, Biscuit meets with Saverin, who sees Atra there, and he calls some goons to come bring a car, and they kidnap Biscuit and Atra, and... Saharid and two Gallarhorn officers, soldiers, are under the mistaken impression that Atra is Kudelia. So she plays along for the sake of keeping Kudelia safe. Mm-hmm. So Mika's out looking for them, and Kudelia and Fumitan are in a hotel where they encounter a certain masked man. Oh, man. Who is he, Chris? I have no idea. <laughs> yes. Who is this mysterious masked man who reveals that Fumitan actually works for Noblis? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, Kudelia doesn't believe and Fumitan confirms is true. Mm-hmm. And she runs off, so Kudelia goes to look for her. At the same time, Orga and the other people stuck on door two, they meet this guy, Navona, who is the well-meaning but hopelessly naive leader of the union workers. I like to call him Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of got that vibe. Yeah. He, he looks like uh, the, the, the uh, friends of mine were pointing out to me that they, <laughs> every time they see him, they want to say, won't you be my neighbor? 
<laughs> a revolution. Won't you beat my dead neighbor? Oh. <laughs> Yo, Fred, take it easy. <laughs> so he's trying to calm all the disparate factions within the union because there are some extremists who want to fight Gallarhorn to get what they want. And he is convinced that they can negotiate with the Dort company and that Saverin, who was one of their own, is working within the company to help them out. Mm-hmm. But none of it's really going that way and Atra is uh, pretty cruelly beaten during this interrogation oh, man. by Gallarhorn, but she keeps up the pretense Oh yeah, to her credit. And then Mikazuki, like a dog sniffing shoes, <laughs> eventually finds them and busts them out. But uh, it all ends kind of tragically with Saverin um, at his wit's end and convincing himself and trying to convince Biscuit that just handing over Atra is good enough if everyone else thinks that she's Kudelia as well because he wants to preserve the peace and stop all of these union people from being killed. But it's a little too late for that because they're already marching on the Dort headquarters Mm -hmm. on Dort 3. So the shit show is in full effect. Yes. (laughs) What do you think about this one, Solbro? I thought it was, uh, I thought it was pretty intense, man. Um, I'll just run down these real quick, man. Who is the poorly disguised man in the golden mask? The world may never know. <laughs> Yo, McGillis, though, it's like, who are you trying to fool? And that wig was terrible. But um, I, I, I and, do. What's that? And the mask with the opening yeah, eyelids. The blinking eyelids. <laughs> Fantastic. The man has flair. What can I say? It's good to see a masked man so early in the gun. Well, not so early, so late in the Gundam series. We finally got our masked man moment. I don't, I don't expect it to last though. But um, Fumitana, he forces, uh, he pretty much exposes Fumitana, and she gets the hell out of Dodge, which of course trumps up the the drama for uh, the next episode. Um, I thought it was a a, a nice scene between uh, her and Cordelia. Um, my number two moment though is Biscuit confronting his traitorous brother. I mean, granted, um, Sovereign meant well. Because, you know, he's he's afraid for the situation getting out of control. But at the same time, he's willing to believe a lie uh, and and not face up to the facts that, you know, Gallahorn is up to no good. And th- th- this is not the way to, s- to solve this situation, especially when Biscuit tells him it's like that's who Atra is claiming to be. Uh, she's not Codelia. Codelia. I'm, I'm sorry to break it to you, but it's not true. And he's still, you know, he's still so convinced in his uh and his, I guess his um, his conviction that they've they've captured the right person that he is not willing to listen to biscuit and listen to reason at the same time. Um, the the exchange of them at, with between them at the end of the episode is also pretty uh, pretty heartbreaking. But um, it shows that biscuit is growing, man. He's he's becoming a heart of biscuit. <laughs> Being left out the oven for too long, but uh, the heart of the gravy. Yeah, the heart of the gravy, man. He's uh, he's not a fresh biscuit no more, man. He's tough, man. He's uh, he's uh, he's Civil War biscuit now. <laughs> 
uh, last but not least, my number one moment was uh, Autra taking it like a champ. Oh my god, I didn't know this girl had had it in her, man. But she she took one for the team for real. And more than one. Oh my god, she she got like two and three and four and five and six. How she doesn't have a concussion is beyond me. But um, I, I love the fact that the Mikadator got activated. That guy, that guy got to work, man. He's sniffing shoes, catching the scent. <laughs> <laughs> blowing up cars <laughs> the man is a one-man army boy like 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 rambo man like rambo jr i love this guy but um yeah he comes to the uh, at the end comes to the rescue and gets her out of there and uh she uh her, her I, I i wasn't crazy about her character but in this last string of episodes i've come to like Atra's character a whole lot more especially after finding out what her backstory was and then seeing how she uh stepped up to the plate and pretended to be Codelia in order to protect her friend. Um, I thought it was a very noble act of hers. Foolish, but noble. And uh, it was a definite, definitely stand-up moment for her character in the show. But um, what are your thoughts, Chris? It, it was a solid episode, but there were some uh, little bumps along the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the whole idea of Atra standing up to protect Codelia. But, and I could see her fooling Saverin. Yeah. But you would think that some Gallarhorn soldiers would, you know, look up on their phones and find a picture of Crudelia and see that she's not like some little 12 or 13 year old girl. Yeah, you think it's someone that notorious would actually have her picture. Um, you know, she's not some random person. You yeah. Know, there's this, we saw earlier in the series this video of her giving that famous speech. So she's known. There, there should be a file on her in Gallahorn. There should be pictures of her. You think that they would look at that rather than just assume that some random girl is her. Yeah, several people have been com- kind of dumb. Several people have been commissioned to capture her. So they know what she looks like. So I would imagine that the actual soldiers of the Gallahorn would know exactly what she looks like and know not to be fooled by someone else pretending to who she is. Not pretending to be her. I think that's it's it's definitely a um a story flaw, to say the least. They, they, they could have looked it up on Space Google. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Gone to they Space did. TMZ. <laughs> they, they, they did not use Space Google or Space Wiki or whatever. Exactly. So that's that's kind of uh, kind of weird. The slipping. Yeah. Um, there was also some interesting stuff with Galio and Ayn because they're on a ship and they're out to do some training exercises <laughs> so they say to go after Tekadon but even Galio's restrained because the regulatory bureau of Gallarhorn has lots of power and they've got a whole bunch of plans going on of their own mm-hmm. so that's coming into play so you know, we saw all these tensions in the last episode that are continuing to boil here and then you have the added quote unquote reveal that mm-hmm. Fumitan actually works for Noblis and that she is conflicted over what she should do, which of course plays out next episode. So, uh, any other comments? No, I think uh, we've come a long way today. <laughs> Certainly have. It feels like feels like the old days of 2008, doesn't Holy it? Holy shit! But the grind is real. <laughs> We said that we would never do. Oh, man. It's only going to get worse than April. <laughs> Here we are doing it. Oh, man. So, Sobro, 
why don't we close this out with ratings for episode 15 oh man of course um i this episode was consistently as uh you know as, as good as the last one so i'll give this one uh four tragic family reunions seems to be a running theme in the show out of five <laughs> i'm gonna give this one three and a half abused minors out of five nice nice also, I want to co- I want to continue to commend the staff behind this show for all the English in the background. I I, I've, I take note every episode when I watch and look for graffiti and signs, and I'm seeing like I, I don't see any English at all. It's all proper grammar, uh, proper grammar, and uh, and 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 well placed English. It's it's pretty amazing, man. So uh, tip of the cap to you guys, man. I, I, I believe Mark Simmons is responsible for it. Well, Mark Simmons. I, I, I pour one out. For, I, 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 I have a drink in your honor, sir. There, there is one thing, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of graffiti around the Isaribi. Yeah. And in the mess hall, presumably drawn by the children, mm-hmm. uh, there is one that says Tamoto. <laughs> no. Are you saying. <laughs> yes, this is. You can check the screenshots for this. This is this is true. Uh, you could chalk that up to a bunch of illiterate kids not really knowing better. Well, Chris, that's clearly someone's name. <laughs> clearly, <laughs> it has it bears no relation to the vegetable, all right, or the fruit. Depending never on mind. How. Never mind the fact that a tomato is drawn above it. So. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Hey, the kids are learning, man. They'll learn how to spell one of these days. One of these days. I'll let that one slide. Yep. <laughs> so that's it for this segment covering episodes 11 through 15 of Iron Blooded Orphans. We'll be right back. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. <laughs> Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. Are you a fan of Gundam, Robotech, or Transformers? Well, you should check out Gundam at MEHQ, a wonderful source to learn about the Autobots. Yes, and once I learn about them, I will be the leader of the Decepticons. What was that, Starscream? Nothing, Lord Megatron. Nothing at all. We're looking for a few good new types. Over the last couple of months, the Gundam Nation has been getting together to play Mobile Suit Gundam Extreme Versus. We call those sessions EX Versus the Gundam Nation. Well, we as a group recently upgraded to the sequel to Extreme Versus, known as Full Boost. We're inviting you to come on out and play the new game with us. 
even if you don't have the game, you can watch our live stream and also join in the conversation that we hold on Skype during the stream as well. It's not only a gaming session, but a social event for mecha and anime fans as well. If you have the game, you can add the PSN ID, the Gundam Nation which is the tag that we use to network all the players for the sessions. Also make sure to add to your Skype the contact of Shinjuku-Station so you can have a chance to join the Skype conversation during the stream. If you want to watch the stream live, make sure to head on over to twitch.tv slash fightersready and follow us there so you can be alerted to when our streams begin. If you missed any of our sessions, head over to youtube.com slash gundammahq and you'll find a lot of our sessions that we've already had archived there. Just be in mind that the conversations held in these sessions may not be safe for work. For more details on the event, make sure you visit gundam.net and click on the EX versus the Gundam Nation section. If you enjoy the game, the podcast, or Gundam in general, then you owe it to yourself to come on out to EX versus the Gundam Nation. We'll see you there. You're driving along, you're driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the back seat, I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy! Not now, goddammit! Welcome back, everybody. You've been listening to episode 175 of Gundam at MAHQ. In this episode, we wrapped about episodes 6 through 15 of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Hope you guys enjoyed the reviews in our old format. It's been a nice long run of episodes in this original format. Uh, We've been doing the show the same exact way, with a few changes here and there, since the show debuted in October 2007. I'd like to say that we've improved quite a bit, and my editing ability uh, has sped up quite a bit, but as of recently... I can't sit down and edit the show as much as I used to be able to, and I've come to realize that we have to move forward and do the show in a live-to-tape format. What that really means is pretty much doing the show as if we're doing it live, which we will be doing, actually. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Gundam is going to be going live, streaming live, as we actually do the episodes live, starting on Thursday, June 30th. 2016 at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you guys don't know where to watch, you're more than welcome to check us out live on youtube.com slash gundammahq slash live. If you've never been to the youtube.com slash gundammahq channel, go there now and hit the subscribe button. Our format will basically still be the news going into an actual segment where we actually review, where we either review a show, talk about a subject, and then at the end we take questions from the audience and go into the mailbag and whatnot. So it'll be a nice balanced show that'll last about an hour and a half to two hours at, at most. I know that um, a lot of our time on the show between the co-host and myself are, is pretty tight now, so we only have a small amount of time to actually produce produce a show. And instead of the show just sitting, waiting to be edited and going up when all the information is way behind the time, especially with the news, uh, this will be a great way for the show to actually be live, be current, and us to keep up with the Joneses when it comes to mecha anime news and mecha anime shows as they're airing. So um, we're going to be going live. Don't worry for those who listen to the show on podcast. An audio format of the show will still be produced and put out just as usual. It just won't have the post-editing that you're used to. It'll all be pretty much from the live recording that we do for YouTube. I'll export the audio uh, into MP3 format. 
and post it on the same feed that you've gotten all the other episodes. So nothing will change there, at least on the delivery format. But the good news is, is that those episodes will go out the very next day after we do the live show on YouTube, as opposed to waiting two to three weeks, which is what's taken me all the time in the world to sit down and actually edit the show. So blame this on me. I've had a lot of things come up in my life as of recently that have caused uh, post-production on the show to take a lot of time. And now that I'm actually, you know, I have my life a little bit stable now, we can actually do the show on a regular basis and do it live so that we can get feedback from you guys as we do the show. That's one of the cool things about us doing the show live is as we're streaming it live, we're watching the chat and people are actually responding to what we're saying and contributing to the conversation. We'll be using hashtags on Twitter like Gundam Live 176, which will be the hashtag for the next episode that you can contribute to the conversation as well with that hashtag. If you're watching it live, you're more than welcome to use that hashtag. I'll be pulling from Twitter as we talk about uh, the next subject, which will be the final episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans for Season 1. We'll be going into the, the final stretch of the last 10 episodes, and we'll be talking about it as a whole. The good parts, the bad parts, our favorite parts, and the pros and cons of the entire series. So we'll be getting into that, and I hope you guys will tune in for the live show. If you can't make it, though, you can definitely check out the archived YouTube videos, or you can check out the MP3 upload for the audio feed, which some of you guys probably listen to right now from this episode. But um, thank you guys for your patience with this. I know it's a whole new endeavor for us, and I know some of you guys like the original format of the show, and you're going to miss it. But I hope you guys enjoy the show the way it was, um, and I hope you guys will enjoy the show as it transforms, because ultimately this will allow you guys to get the show faster and hopefully also become an active part of the show as well. So if you've never been there before, please go to youtube.com slash gundammahq. And if you want, you can even bookmark youtube.com slash gundammahq slash live, which is where we'll be broadcasting the shows. No worries if for some reason you forget the link. Find us on Twitter at gundam at mahq. We'll always be posting the event of the next live show on the top of the Twitter feed. So you can check that out. Also, if you follow us over on our Facebook page of facebook.com slash group slash MAHQ1, you'll also see the events get posted there as well. If you want to take part in the episode, you can either join us in the chat as the episode is live or participate on Twitter by using the hashtag GundamLive176 or whatever episode that we're going to be on at that time. So the hashtag will change with each episode matching the number of that episode. In the meantime, thank you guys. Your, our listenership means the world to us. And I'm, I'm personally sorry that we haven't been putting out the episodes as regularly as we used to. So this will help us get us back on track. And I hope you guys join us for the journey. In the meantime, check out these websites when you have time. Head on over to where the magic happens. MAHQ.net. Visit there for reviews of many mecha-related animes and manga series. Also join the conversation at MAHQ's official forums at mechatalk.net where you can find forums for this show and other MAHQ and Shinjuku Station podcasts. There you can comment on the thread for this episode or others and submit questions for future podcasts. If you're looking for previous episodes of Gundam at MAHQ, look no further than Gundam.net, where you can also find information on all of our previous episodes. Also find us on iTunes by using the keyword Gundam and make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. After listening to our show, your next stop should be Chaos Theater, MAHQ's podcast that focuses on other facets of nerddom outside of Mecca. Hosted by the webmaster of MAHQ, Gundam's own Chris Guanche. 
and the pedal bear of the South, Tomopop's own Pedro Cortez. You can tune into the show at chaostheater.blogspot.com and on iTunes by searching for Chaos Theater. Don't forget that we're also on YouTube, where you can not only find our previous episodes, but extra content as well. Subscribe to these channels when you have time. YouTube.com slash Gundam M-A-H-Q. YouTube.com slash Chaos Theater M-A-H-Q. YouTube.com slash Fighters Ready. YouTube.com slash Shin Station Fight Tube. And YouTube.com slash Shinjuku Station. Last but not least, make a beeline to Shinjuku Station's home for live streaming. That's tinyurl.com slash Shin Station. Every week we stream live with anime commentaries like Shoji Ramaro's Anime Movie Night and live podcasts like our new show, Barbecue Night. Don't sleep. Head on over to tinyurl.com slash Shin Station and follow us to keep up with all our future live streams as well as archives of our most recent sessions. Thanks a lot for listening to episode 175 of Gundam at MHQ. I'm Sober Ryu and I will see you guys later. Peace. stars, but the galaxy is troubled. No more colonial rule! The push for independence is spreading across Mars at an alarming pace. The calamity war is over, but Earth still rules Mars with an iron fist. Earth Sphere's economy depends on that used up colony. You little punks are to do exactly as we say, understand? Pick up the pace, kid! They either smack us for a few laughs, use us as human shields. Those who oppose them, fight. Time for us to change the game. Let's take them down, you guys! We're gonna die! We're not gonna die! Not like this! Their only hope for independence is a medically enhanced child soldier and a legendary mobile suit called Gundam. Let's go, Barbatos. Make up! I don't know where you got that thing, but do you really believe that you can take down a craze of Gallarhorn with an old mobile suit like that? That's right. Tsunami is proud to present a new chapter in one of the greatest anime sagas of all time. Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans, next Saturday at midnight. Did you pieces of trash forget who you're dealing with? I just wanted to make things clear. We're the ones who are in charge around here now. Got it. Suit up again. Only Tsunami on Adult Swim. At MAHQ is a Shinjuku station and MAHQ.net joint. You suggested one-on-one combat, didn't you? I've reconsidered. I think that sounds like a wonderful idea.